0: This podcast is about the animals of Granis Island. We are at the Far George Preserve in New Haven, Connecticut. Come join us as we travel down the trail, through the woods, and over the salt marsh and into Grannis Island. We will explore the numerous habitats and discover many different animals.
1: Grannis Island wasn't always how it is today. Let's talk to Nick Bellatoni, the state archaeologist, about the animals that used to live here.
2: Dinosaurs were in Connecticut 160 million-plus years ago. But when dinosaurs were here, New Haven wasn't here. Well, what I mean by that, it wasn't here on the globe. New Haven, in this area, was down by Cuba. That means we were near the equator. And that also means it was tropical. And that also means that's why there were dinosaur reptiles here. Because this was a tropical land. So it's a lot different. We've moved up what's called plate tectonics or plates up on the globe. If you take the earth and you shrink it down to an egg, we live on the shell. But it's not just one big shell. It's made up of different plates of shell that move around. That's what causes earthquakes. That's what causes tsunamis. That's what causes volcanic eruptions in many cases. And so what ends up happening is that we have moved on the globe. So when dinosaurs were here, we were near the equator, and now we're up on the globe where we could even have an ice age.
1: Let's talk to Ben Breton from the New Haven Historical Society. Ben is a specialist on the Quinnipiac Indians.
0: We do know that like 10,000 years ago there were 300 pound beavers here and mastodons, right? So, I mean, that would, Animals like that would have been a danger thousands of years ago. And they would have probably developed a lot of their technology trying to hunt these animals and trying to fight against them, right? To try to keep them away. They absolutely did have tons of beaver pelts here. Um, and the Dutch um, had come through, um, a man named Adrian Bloch was a famous Dutch explorer, actually came through this area in 1614 and began establishing trade in Connecticut. As you know, the Dutch were in New York, right? what was New Amsterdam at the time, New Netherlands. So he had been trading with the Quinnipiacs and in the 1620s, the trade really picked up. And by the early 1630s, the number of beaver was down quite a bit. By the time the English got here, and one of the reason they came here was to get beaver pelts, really most of them had, were gone. Beavers actually went extinct in Connecticut in the 1700s. They had to bring them back in from elsewhere. The only um, domesticated animals that the Quinnipiacs had prior
2: to European arrival was the dog. When you go to the old world, gosh, in the old world they domesticated horses and cattle and sheep and goats and pigs. But in the new world, many of those animals died out during the Ice Age, like horses. And so, You know, we didn't have a lot of good animals, and Native Americans didn't have a lot of good animals that they could domesticate. What happens is the dog, the wolf, is up in the Canadian areas, and Siberia, and Alaska, and that area, and they start to become domesticated very early. Actually, we see domestic dogs going back to Asia and Africa very early. Um, Humans didn't get into North America till very late, and they brought the dog with them. So dogs uh, descended from wolves, actually came over with human groups from asia when they crossed through what is today siberia alaska and into what you would call the united states
0: they caused much problems well i should say it was the europeans that caused the problems with the dogs because they would allow their hogs their pigs to graze in unfenced areas And eventually they even passed a law because they were causing so much damage these pigs on the Europeans' property that they would say you have to put them five miles out of town. So they would mess up the Quinnipiac's oyster beds um, and uh, they would also mess up their, their farm plots. And the Quinnipiac dogs would attack the pigs and kill them. And then the Europeans would say, your dog just killed my pig. You know, now you have to pay me back for my pig. Long ago, in the evenings, the Quinnipiac Indians on Granite Island would sit around the fire and listen to their medicine man tell legends. Fox Running will share one with us.
1: Once, long, long time ago, the bear was walking down the trail, and he came across the fox, and the fox was dragging up the trail a whole string of fish. And he said to the fox, where did you get the fish? Now of course this was winter time. He says oh I went down to the lake and I stuck my tail in the water and every time a fish came along I would yank it out and pretty soon I had a whole string of fish. So the bear said well gee that's a pretty good idea I think I'll go try that. What the bear didn't know was the fox had stolen the fish from a Native American fisherman that was fishing in the lake. So the bear went down to the lake, and by the time it got, he got there, of course, the fisherman was gone. And he stuck his tail in the water. And he sat and he waited and he waited and waited, and nothing happened. And the water froze around his tail. And when he got, went to get up, he pulled his tail off. And that's why to this day the bear has no tail. The Quinnipiacs
0: used everything that they could from the animal. So they would actually take the deer brains and smash them up in a mortar and pestle and rub them on the um, deer skin. This would create a chemical reaction that made it soft. Another thing that I've been told is that they would use the deer hooves and since they tried to use everything that they could from the animal, they would actually take these deer hooves and put them inside a dried out gourd, and you could kind of shake that as a musical instrument. And that's something that I have from oral history, that's not something that, I, that I've read about anywhere. We interviewed Lucien Buffard, who is a naturalist and works for the New Haven Land Trust. He has been to Granite Island many times and thus knows the animals there very well.
3: Island starts out salt marsh at the lower end of the spectrum and then moves up into um, lowlands and then upland habitat. And so uh, along with each different zone that that habitat, particular habitat occurs in, there's a particular set of plants and animals that live in that zone. And so in the salt marsh, some of the reptiles that would be there would be diamondback terrapin and they would need to go on land to lay their eggs and then go back into the water. The eggs would warm up on a sunny bank of Granite Island over the course of the uh, period that they need to be incubated by the warm sun inside the earth. They would hatch and then emerge and then go back into the salt marsh. So there's a mixture there where the diamondback terrapin would need to move up onto land. There probably is a lot of salt water out on Granite Island and that water is plentiful but it's not able to be used by mammals. So the vegetation, the, the vegetarians that are on Granis Island are going to be uh, the woodchucks um, and the rabbits and those animals will be getting their water from the, the plants that they eat and the rats and the mice and things like that they will also be getting uh, Water from the grubs and the beetles that they eat on the ground and the vegetation as well I saw a red fox with a woodchuck hanging from its mouth and it was You know pretty recently picked up by the red fox and then the red fox trotted off into the uh, wilds of Quinnipiac Meadows Nature Preserve So that is one particular food chain that I saw there. I saw a direct relationship between the woodchuck and the fox. But other elements to that food web would be that that osprey or the the American Eagle may prey on that woodchuck too. And that woodchuck is going to eat vegetation um, such as um, that uh, quaking aspen that's there or the gray birch. And other animals that may live on the quaking aspen and the gray birch could be caterpillars or rabbits or even some of the birds that would live on those organisms so those those um, those birds may be food for the red fox as well, so those th- that energy those energy pathways where something is being eaten by another thing will be um, many and different in Quinnipiac Meadows Nature Preserve. There is a measure of protection that's offered to the animals that live on Grannis Island that don't have to move anywhere else in order to get what they need to or survive. So food, water, shelter, and space is the name of the game. And um, if those animals can find all their food, water, shelter, and space on Granis Island, they're not gonna have to move.
1: This is scat that we found from a coyote. Because there is a lot of bone in the scat, it turns white from all the calcium.
3: Coyotes are a particularly social creature, and they will get together and they will pack, or they can be solitary or in pairs. And they do communicate. They do um, bark, um, they do howl in the wild. Um, they like a particularly large home range which is the amount of area that is necessary in order to sustain them with food, water, shelter, and space. So uh, their lives are lived partly on Granite Island and partly on the nature preserve close to Granite Island. And they will use the train tracks as a corridor to go back and forth uh, from other areas of New Haven. Um, The coyotes will eat anything that they can get their 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 canines on they are opportunist scavengers so everything from carrion, which is dead stuff already dead stuff whether it be roadkill or killed by a train or naturally dead they will eat that they are omnivorous which means that they eat both plants and animals so they will eat everything including berries on trees and shrubs to uh, meat such as mice rabbits and etc there's a geographic isolation that occurs when one lives on an island and uh, it's bordered by water some of the time and then uh, those animals that live there will need to be independent of the surrounding environment because they are isolated so there may not be as many animals on the island as there are on a larger parcel of land like the shore of the Quinnipiac River, as it's connected to New Haven, there are rabbits out there, and they do live underground. They will burrow, and uh, they will um, raise their young underground. There may be the occasional woodchuck that will live underground. This possum is living in this hole, and what happened here was the tree got a disease, and. Um, the, on, the really, the only thing living on the tree is about the, on a tree like that, it's really about the first two inches inside the bark. There's um, tissues in there similar to our, our, our veins and arteries that are just inside that the bark of that tree. Well, some disease got inside that tree and did something called heart rot inside the tree. And when a tree gets a heart rot, all the wood on the inside of the tree dies, and it will rot away, and it did in this case, and provided a hole for that animal to live there. And there's woodchuck holes everywhere out there, which are a favorite food item for some of the other animals that live out there. There will be a raccoon out there for sure, where they'll be looking for uh, crustaceans and things like that in order to eat along the shore. That's another animal that likes the upland habitat that will visit the shore. Owls will call to each other and they will let each other know, this is my territory, a nesting right now. I've got, this is my domain as far as the animals that live here. These are my rats. These are my, these are my rabbits, things like that. So when the train comes by, it disrupts that um, communication amongst those animals. So there is um, one particular problem with that where those animals might be affected by the noise of the train. The other component to the train tracks is that they will um, provide cover. So there are trees along those train tracks and there's small shrubs along the sides of those train tracks. And just like we have a corridor here in your school, that is a corridor for animals as well so those animals will use the train tracks like the coyotes and the foxes Uh, those animals will go back and forth along the sides of those train tracks to and from their denning areas to food items or they will use them to travel um, further distances during periods of uh, seasonal migration in order to get food there's two ways to measure the amount of plants and animals in a natural system and one is called um, biomass which is the entire almost if you were to take all the organisms all the plants and animals and weigh them on a scale there would be a number there and that would be in maybe in pounds or kilograms or or it was a weight that was given to all those plants and animals in that particular environment and then there's another term called biodiversity which is the amount of different species inside of that environment there is a lot of wildlife at granis Island um, and I have seen there um, mammals, I have seen birds, I have seen a variety of plants I have seen um, other kinds of wildlife uh, that would be indicators of a healthy ecosystem so the ecosystem would be the larger context of the living things, all those plants and animals, and their non-living counterparts, all the things they need in order to survive, like water and space. And so there's a variety of different kinds of elements that go into those natural systems. Being a naturalist, what I look at is what is the history of the plants and animals that live in that environment, and what's their importance. and In order to be a good naturalist, I take some things with me into the field. I take um, always a pen and a pencil. So I always take a notebook. This is my notebook right here. And this is some of my notes right here. This is a, a beaver skull that I found that I made a picture that I did a drawing of right here. So maybe I go and get some literature and do some reading. I always go to the library before I go out into the wilderness. And then I have binoculars to look at birds and animals far away. Then usually I have uh, a magnifying glass. And if you're really, really fun with binoculars, is if you take them and turn them around and look at something up close like this, it'll actually be a microscope. So if you turn it around, you can use it that way. And then I'll have a field guide or some other piece of literature that will help me out in the, in the outdoors. Grannis has been set up as a, as a preserve and there are several classifications to wild natural areas. You can have a state park, a national park, a sanctuary, a preserve, a conservation area. So each one of these different types of names has a particular set of rules that applies to it. And so um, in a conservation area, there may be hunting and trapping allowed. But on Granite Island, as set up as a preserve, those animals are not allowed to be taken into captivity unless they may be injured. So for instance, a bird group might come out and rescue a great horned owl. I would suggest to always be aware of your surroundings and if you see um, a plant or animal in the outdoors, go and read about it. Um, And also um, keep wild animals for yourself, you know. uh, Go out and catch something, whether it be a firefly or a snake, and then make sure you take care of it and do a lot of reading about what it is necessary to take care of that animal. But um, make sure, you know, it's healthy, and then always release it where you found it. Some animals, like the box turtle, if you find a box turtle in the wilderness, if you take that box turtle home and then put it, um, release it back somewhere where it's not from, it'll get lost. So those animals know what their home is and um, putting them back where you found them is very important. But take a closer look, use a magnifying glass and um, it's a, it's a very exciting um, to look through a microscope, a magnifying glass, uh, a pair of binoculars or a telescope, all those All those pieces of equipment can help you to be able to understand the natural world a little bit better.